Amen. You can be seated. Oh. I love worshiping with you guys, my family here. Um, it is hard when the final song before I have to come up makes me cry because then it's hard to talk, but it's, it's all good. In your worship folder is an outline. It has a, not all, a whole bunch of verses like last week, but it has some fill-ins and a couple verses that are important. We are in a series where actually this is the last day. The last week of the series, we've been talking for, um, this is part seven of a series we're calling, What's the Big Deal About Church? And one of the reasons we've asked this question is because it's been on the lips of many of your friends, and it may be on your lips. What's the big deal about church? Maybe you're really connected, and you really get it, and you go, and you have friends or, or loved ones or relatives that are just like, what, what do you do that all the time? What's the big deal? And there are people who, oh, yeah, I get what a big deal church is, you know? I go all the time. It's like, really? Where do you go? I go to Journey in Our Church. Really? So do I. I've never seen you. Yep, I'm there every single Easter. <laughs> I think I know why I haven't seen you, but... Um, Today, I'm, this is kind of a disclaimer, a little bit of a warning, I guess, maybe. Um, this is the conclusion today of the series. And some of you might walk away saying, that was a little weird. That's okay. We do weird things here. But if you're a guest, if this is your first time here, you might especially say, well, that was kind of a weird sermon. Um, what you need to do is go to iloveourchurch.com. And on the Sermons tab, it tells you about three different ways to get the messages, and you can listen to parts one through six, and that will bring you up to speed so that you'll understand why we said what we said today. So that's kind of what we're doing and where we're going. We're talking about church, but we're not talking about just this church, just this journey in our church. We're talking about what I call the the big C church. The church, as we've looked at for the last seven weeks, began as a movement, Never was it about buildings or, or you know, banners or, or, or all those weird things. It was always a movement. And 2,000 years ago, thousands of people flooded into the streets of Jerusalem. And the unifying idea was that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he rose from the dead. That was the thing. That was the thing that got them going. And right off the bat, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, they faced opposition and persecution, sometimes horrendous. And as they're going, this brand new baby thing called the church, they go through this incredible persecution, they go through these hard times, they see loved ones hurt and imprisoned and killed, and never once do we find them wondering, where is God? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? We never see them whining about stuff. Instead, when we see this persecution, we find them emboldened in in this proclamation of Jesus is alive. The first century church, it's kind of like we're supposed to be the church all through history. But the first century church was kind of like nothing else. It was certainly like nothing else of that day. Nothing had ever existed like that before. The distinguishing characteristic of that first church was not they had the same kind of building or they were part of the same denomination. They had the same creed or they sang the same kind of music. That was not what what set anything apart or brought them together. What it was was it was a behavior in that they loved 
like Jesus loved. They did what Jesus did. And they loved people like Jesus loved people. And we see right from the get-go, slaves and masters and Jews and Gentiles and men and women all gathering to celebrate a resurrected Savior. All peoples from all walks of life, all, all, all everything, races, religions, colors, creeds, everything, them coming together around one thing, that Jesus was alive. In some cases, even the people who literally put Jesus to death showed up. The Pharisees showed up, and many of them became believers and followers of Jesus, part of the church. We see Peter, and we remember Peter for many things, but it seems like the one thing we always think of when we think of Peter is the fact that he denied Jesus. Peter was the leader of this new thing called the church. We see James, who was Jesus' brother. He came late kind of to the party, because as Jesus was growing up and even in his ministry, until Jesus rose from the dead, his own brothers and sisters didn't believe. So Jesus, uh, James came late to the party, but he became one of the chief representatives of the church. And so we see this message from day one starting to spread. We talked about how Paul um, left the church in Jerusalem and, and went, uh, cruised the Mediterranean. And every time he'd stop, he'd go in and he'd, he'd talk to people about Jesus. And these new churches started and cities all over what was then the known world had churches in them. Now people who recognized Jesus was who he said. He, he came back to life. And conquered death. And he started all these churches and all these amazing things happened. Um, and this message spread um, throughout this, this, the known world, which was the Roman Empire. And the funny thing is, the thing they thought that would last forever was the Roman Empire. And oh yeah, the Roman Empire was gone. But the church wasn't. The church continued, that message continued to spread. Here's the thing. This, this message that, that the church was founded on, I understand that that message has been hijacked from time to time. I understand that throughout history, there have been low points. There have been bad things that have happened in the name of Jesus. I know that, that in history, people have, have kind of leveraged this whole church thing for their own purposes. We know that people have used it to justify oppression to justify a disregard for human rights. Wars have been fought over this. We know that this is what caused the Spanish Inquisition. And all of you Monty Python fans are thinking right now, nobody expects a Spanish Inquisition. And if you don't know what I just said, you're not a Monty Python fan. You won't get it. <laughs> Bad things happened in the name of Jesus. Jewish people were mistreated. Mosques and synagogues were burned. This message has been hijacked from time to time throughout the centuries. People have also come along and made it complicated. They've made it exclusive, lifeless, ritualistic. The church even slipped back into having priests. And, and in the New Testament, Jesus said, because I died, was buried, and rose again, you are now a kingdom of priests. You see, they had to, at one time, they had to go through this line, this chain, to get to God. And, and some people still explain it that way. Why do you have priests? Why do you have this and that? Because it's like if you went to a company and there was this, the president of the company, you can't just see the president of the company. You have to talk to the, the doorman and then you have to talk to this person and you have to talk to this person. And I say, but what if I am the president's son? I go right to the president. I am a child of the king. 
Jesus said, because when you believe and receive and you become children of God, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I don't have to go through anybody to get to God. I have Jesus. But the church has kind of twisted things again. People get controlled by that. They get controlled by the guilt. Do you know that in some places, they, they say you can still buy your way to heaven. Now, you can't, but that's what they tell you. I have a friend. I won't tell you his name. And I have more than one, actually. But I have this particular friend. Um, <laughs> and I won't tell you the name of the church, but... Um, he was a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. His wife was a believer, follower of Jesus. She was a member of, of Church A, we'll call it. He was a, m- a member of a completely different, different denomination, Church B. And he wanted to get married. They wanted to get married. And they thought that they wanted to get married in her church. So they understood that in order to get married in her church, he had to be a member of her church. That was their rule. And so he went to the leader of that church. This true story. He went to the leader of that church and he said, we want to get married. I almost said the name. We want to get married and um, I want to know what it, what it would take for me to become a member of the church here so that we could get married here. And the leader of the church looked at him, never cracked a smile and said, $2,500. And the guy responded like I did. It must be a joke. And so he laughed. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. That... It, you're not part of our church. You're part of that church. You want to be a part of this church? $2,500. Now, the guy happened to have a lot of money, and he could have very easily done that, but he was also a follower of Jesus, and he, and it was, he said it was very hard to say, you're an idiot. <laughs> he couldn't say that because he had to show respect and honor, which is a good thing, but they didn't get married in that church. They went somewhere else, but this is like within the last couple decades. This is not an old thing. Goofy things happen. Here's what I know, though. Those, those high-profile, tragic stories over the generations are the exception, not the rule. Because there has always been, for 2,000 years, there has always been a remnant of people who embraced the message. And they saw to it that the message was spread. A group of people who believed that, yes, religion is personal, but it is not private. It's a message for all people. If I have found hope, I want to share it. It's not, I have my hope, good luck. It's about sharing it. It's a message for all people. We kind of briefly touched on this a couple weeks ago. You might not be aware of the influence that Christianity has had on this planet. On the culture, in almost every country, what has happened here. We have, we have a lot of hospitals in our country. I don't know if you realize how many of those hospitals were founded as Christian hospitals. Do you realize that still today, 13% of the hospitals are Christian hospitals? Do you realize 18% of the beds in hospitals in America are Christian hospitals? Beds in Christian hospitals. 18%. Without the church, there probably wouldn't be hospitals today. They started schools all over the place. Now, you might not recognize them, but if I said the names, you would recognize them. Like places like, oh, I don't know, Harvard. Do you know that was a Christian school? Started as a seminary, Harvard Divinity School. Most of the places that are now very upper echelon colleges, elite places, were started as Christian schools. There's a place in Ohio, it's called Oberlin College. 
And right now, the people that very hoity-toity kind of thing. Um, it's it's a very musical place. Now they actually have, uh, and I, I I know this because I lived near there. There was I knew somebody who had a, a relative that went to that college and majored six years. It cost I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars to major a music major on an instrument that there is only one of, <laughs> and it's at that school. Now, that's a little ridiculous. Oberlin College was started by Charles Finney as a church college. And one of the archways in, in, in their center grounds, the big archway, has a thing that, that, that through these gates pass the missionaries who will change the world for Jesus or something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's not happening anymore. But that's how they started. Many, if not most, of those schools were started because of the influence of Christianity. You know, millions of people have been and are being fed and clothed and housed because of Christianity, because of the name of Jesus. Billions of dollars and whatever country, you know, uh, euros and marks and, and yen or whatever, billions have been given in the name of Jesus to begin churches, to begin things in those countries, to build things in those countries that change things for the good you realize, although we still fight it on a different front now, um, one of the biggest atrocities uh, in, in, in what I still consider recent history, slavery. Slavery was abolished in England because of Christianity, and that fueled abolitionists in this country. It was because of Jesus that that happened. Missionaries have traveled around the world. They have risked their lives to take this message to the world. Now, our turn. It's our generation's turn. More specifically, it's our church's turn. From the very beginning, Journey North Church, over the last 10 and a half, 11 years, we have been about not making it difficult for those who are turning to God. Not making it hard for those who are coming back to Him. This was a church that unchurched people would love to attend. That's been woven into the DNA of this place. That's who we are. It's, it's about, um, you saw the sign when you came in, it said, welcome home. It's been about welcoming people home. That's what this church has been about since the very beginning. It's also been about capturing the hearts of a generation of kids and students. The uninterested. And from the very beginning... You may or may not realize this. We have been criticized. You know who we've been criticized by? Church people. But here's what we realized and continue to realize. To reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing. So we took some risks. We tried some things. Some of them were incredible successes. Some of them, not so much. Here's, that's why everything we do here, we start off by calling it, this is not a new program. This is an experiment. Because sometimes experiments don't work. And if it doesn't work, it's not a failure. If it doesn't work, it's, oh, let's not do it that way again. But we've tried many, many different things. Some of them really, really worked, and some of them really, really didn't. But here's what I know. We had to abandon conventional wisdom, conventional church wisdom, in order to do what we've done for the last 10 years. 
And at, 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 I don't know how to say this, at the leadership position, it's exhausting. It, it's, 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 church is messy. It's, it's hard. And I know that at one point, what was really odd and unusual is becoming more normal, partly because we're doing it and God's blessing it and it's working and it's becoming more normal. But here's what happens. I get tired. And sometimes when I'm tired, I think, and I don't say this out loud, sometimes I think, we've done our part. Can we just coast? I see places that appear to be doing good and they're just, they're coasting and it's so freaking easy. It's like, I could do that with my aunt hide behind my back. And I think that, but you know what? I never pray that. I never ask God, can we just coast? Because I know that whenever you're coasting, if you're not stopping, which is a bad thing, whenever you're coasting, you know what you're doing? You're going downhill. We talked about the big drift a couple weeks ago. Don't want that to happen. So the answer to can we just coast, the answer is no. We have an influence in this community. We have an influence, and influence is a stewardship. It's something that God has given to us. And so while we have it, I think we need to leverage it to help all of those in our sphere of influence become what they were meant to be. And that's a part of the church. Not church like in all the bad examples we gave. Church as it was meant to be. Church like it was when Jesus launched it. That's what we're inviting people to. And so we want to do the same thing they did back then. What did they do back then? They reached more people. It was 3,000 on the first day. Within two weeks, there was over 5,000 men. It grew fast. They want to reach more people. We want to reach people. Why? Because of numbers? No. It's already crowded. It's because there are people in our sphere of influence who have no hope. They don't have the answer in Jesus. And until every single one of them has that hope that only comes from him, that knows what it is to experience that and have that love, joy, and peace, and patience, and understanding the things we talked about last week as a part of their lives, we're going to continue to share that. So we're going to reach more people. We're going to equip more leaders. Because it doesn't apply to any of you. It only applies to me. I'm getting old. We don't want this church to die with leadership that just grew old and died. There are people that we need to build up and raise up and raise up the next generation. That's why the church has been going for 2,000 years. Because it has been passed like a baton from generation to generation. We want to equip more leaders. We want to serve our community. We are not here for the community to serve us. That's why we've never had a fundraiser here. We will never have a fundraiser here. Because here's what a fundraiser does. It says to the community, come in and give us money to do what we need to do. It's like, no, the community's not here for us. We're here for the community. And we want to continue to serve and bless the community in the name of Jesus because that's what the first church did. We want to have more people in groups because we understand that as necessary and as important as it is to be here on Sunday mornings, you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. God might have the most amazing thing for you and you miss it if you're not here. But we know that that's not the only thing. That from day one, the church started in a big meeting. 3,000 people got saved. But from day one, they also met together in smaller groups from house to house. 
It says that three times in the book of Acts right at the beginning. And so we want to have more people in those groups because we know, I know personally, life change happens best in the context of smaller settings. In the setting of people who I'm accountable to and they're accountable to me and, and we can call each other out on things and we can grow and we can learn and we can develop those relationships. And you say, there's, yeah, but every time I get in a group, there's a whole bunch of broken, screwed up people in it. Everybody in a group is saying the same thing about you because it's true. We're all broken. We're all screwed up, but we're better together. So just like the first church, we want to get people, in, more people into groups, and we want to continue to, make, to, to keep making room for people. We don't want to get so full that um, we don't have room when somebody walks in who desperately needs Jesus, it's too full and they leave. So we'll do what we did from the very beginning. We'll continue to be creative. And when it comes time for a change to happen and we think we can't do any of this, God shows up and everything happens. He's done that in this building. He's done that in all the other places we met. He's done that in this building. He's done that in the kids' room down at the end. He did that in the foyer down here, and we all, we all laughed because uh, the, the school is moving out of vision here. And somebody said, oh, you're going to take that over too? And it's like, no, I saw how much they're asking for it. We won't be taking that over. But then we laughed and said, what we wanted to do is tell him, yeah, but we're not sure how long it will be before he come to us and say, we're just going to give it to you because that's what God does. <laughs> so... We will be creative because we want to keep making room for people. And so we don't want to step ahead of God, but we want to just, whatever you say, God, that's what we'll do. Because there are way too many people in this community who desperately need Jesus. And as I say that, it would be way too easy for you to sit back there and think about that as my thing, as my vision. This is not a me thing. This is a we thing. That's how this works. You see, you have a part That's why the church has continued for 2,000 years because the people who said, I'm a part of this movement, had a part. So on your outline, there are four different things. There's a whole bunch of different things, but I'm just going to do four today because they, they correlate exactly to what the first church did. They correlate to what we need to do. And these things are your part. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are, if you have said, yep, I'm in, I'm part of the church, This is what it's about. Here's the first thing. Be bold. It's all about boldness. Be bold with your invitations. And let me explain that a little bit. One of the things we say here is invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. What that means is you have a sphere of influence with people that I don't. And I have a sphere of influence with people that you don't. And so we invest in that sphere of influence. We invest in those people that need Jesus. We do things with them. We do things for them. We have our group of people who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, but if that's all we ever hang with, we're missing the boat. We also have people that need hope, that need love, that need God's grace, and we are going to continually pour into them and invest in them. And then when the time is there, we invite. And that invitation can be a number of different things. It can be as simple as inviting them to church. It could be, and you've laid the groundwork because you've lived Jesus for them. They know you're not perfect but they know you now have hope. And you can invite them. It might be an invitation to church. It might be an invitation to your small group. It might be an invitation to a Christian concert that you go to. It might be an invitation to, you realize that my hope is in Jesus, and and here's what the Bible says. Here's how you can come to know that Jesus. It might be that personal invitation for them. But when we invest in people who don't know Jesus yet, that ensures that we continue to see our church 
through the lens of people who are disconnected. And that's very important. We talked about it in, in week five. It was like my favorite week. We talked about the big drift and how you come to Jesus, you get saved, everything gets good. And just like the first church, the, the tendency is to drift from an outsider focus to an insider focus because that's the way it works. And all of a sudden, people start thinking about themselves. And journeying our church is not about thinking about ourselves and about being insider-focused. It's about being outsider-focused like the first church was and reaching people for Jesus. So we need to continue to see through that lens. And the way we do that is investing in people's lives who need hope. And you can't fully appreciate what we are doing here until you experience that through their eyes. When you experience church through church people eyes, here's what happens. The music's too loud. It's too soft. It's too fast. It's too slow. It's too cold. It's too hot in here. And there's a thousand different complaints because it's about us. I understand it's too hot in here. You should be up here under the lights. <laughs> but we can't really appreciate what Journey or Church does as a church until we experience things through people's eyes who aren't church people, who are outsiders, who need Jesus. People who we're investing our lives in. So the first thing you do is to be bold with your invitations. The second thing you do is to be bold with your volunteering. With your volunteering. That means part, you're a part of the mission of the church. It's not, I'm just an attender anymore. It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm part of it. I'm part of what's happening here. And that, that comes in, in, for me, it comes in two different flavors. And both of them are necessary. One is you serve in an area of, we call it your shape, your giftedness. It's your spiritual heart, your, your spiritual heart, gifts, abilities, personality, experience. Uh, you serve in those areas because when you do, it's like, yes, that's what I'm wired for. I'm using my spiritual gifts. I'm using the heart that God gave me. I'm using all of those things that God used to shape me. And I love this. That's one area that you need to serve in. The other area that you need to serve in is just areas that you need to serve in. There's lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. There's a number of them. They're not all inclusive because each list is a little, list is a little bit different. Do you know I've read through those lists a thousand times. I have never once seen the, on the list the spiritual gift of cleaning toilets. <laughs> but you realize that's relatively important? In fact, it's probably more important than some of the upfront things. <laughs> There are things that are done that you don't have to have a spiritual gift to do those things. You just have to be a servant. And so we say serve in the area of your shape. Serve in the area of whatever is necessary. Jesus set that example. He came in and his disciples were there. They had been walking outside in, in the dust and the dirt and their feet were all icky from it with their sandals. Jesus came in, took their shoes off and washed their feet. You know why he did that? You think he had the spiritual gift of washing feet? I don't think so. You know what I think he had? A servant's heart. And he showed us the Lord of the universe can step down and serve. That's what we do. So you serve in both of those areas. And here's what's going to happen. You will be challenged to do something uncomfortable. Something that maybe you, you didn't think you could do, you know. And I'm going to call it the same thing. We call everything we do here. It's an experiment. Because you could start doing it, and you may be the one that says, not for me. That was, that was not the right choice. Maybe us that says, not for you. <laughs> That's the wrong choice. That's not a bad thing. That's an experiment. And we learn, and we try something different. But the, the point is, you're probably going to have to do something uncomfortable 
to make a weekly commitment to serve here. It's like Star Trek. You're going to boldly go where no one has gone before. You're going to do something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but God's going to show up and you're going to be a part of the mission because every single part is vital. Every single person is vital, no matter where they are or what they're doing in the body of Christ. Every single person is needed. So we're going to be bold with our invitations. We're going to be bold with our volunteering, making a weekly commitment to serve. The third thing is I want you to be bold with your giving. Now, before you check out and walk away, either physically or mentally right now, don't yet. I'm not taking an offering. You remember what happened a few minutes ago when we took the offering? No, you don't. We've never taken an offering here. We've only passed the offering plate once and we gave money away when we did that. We don't take an offering here. We have a box in the back, and I'm sorry, this is my fault. We have two incredible boxes that Paul has made for us, and I have not put the name, the labels on those yet to put out, so we'll have more places. But we have just, for years, we have just had a box that people who call Journey in Our Church Home put their tithes and offerings in that box and now can give online and, and, and be a part of that. Um, And I'm asking you, if you're a part of this movement of the church, to be bold in your giving. And I'm going to say something that the, the elders and legal trustees don't like when I say this. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You know what he needs? Your heart. Guess what? There is no greater indicator of where your heart is than where your money is. By the way, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that's what giving does. We don't, I don't stand up here and ask you to give because we need your money. God will provide some other way. He is so creative. And sometimes it's through money. We say, God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills? Could you sell one and <laughs> turn in the money? And sometimes he just does something incredibly creative. So we don't worry about that. I don't worry about it at all. All I know is that I want people's heart to be in the right place. So I would never ask you to do something that I don't do or couldn't do. And so from the very beginning, I've chosen, we've chosen to start off for us, tithe, we took literally, it meant 10%. We took that literally and we said we'd never go below that and we would go above that. We did it creatively in the first couple years. We bumped it up a little bit each year so that we could be over that. And it's interesting because if we've, as, if we've done that for like 40, 30 35, yeah. We just celebrated 35 years together. As, we're, as, as we've done that throughout the years, here's what we know. God has never, we just sang this today, God has never let us down. He's never let us go. He's always been good. And we know that we can live so much better on 90% of what we make than we ever could on 100. We know that. We've experienced that for 35 years of marriage. And so I would not ask you to do something I'm not doing. So I'm going to ask you, this is not between me and you, it's between you and God. It might be 10%. God might tell you 30%. He might tell you 5%. He might tell you 2%. I have no idea. But it's a, it is a good idea to say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do if you're married? And you, you make that decision and you decide to do it. And I guarantee the minute you do, something bad happens. Washer breaks, car gets flat tire, something happens and you'll be tested. But when you honor God, God will honor you. Will he give you money? No. Sometimes he does. That's not what he does with us. When he blesses us, he doesn't do that. Here's what he does. We have a minivan 
It's got, I showed you last year, last summer, we showed a video of my odometer turning over to 300,000. We're at 315,000 miles now. That van should have died 100,000 miles ago. And God has, we've been faithful, in, in, but God has miraculously kept that thing going. My Suburban is our low-mileage vehicle. It only has 295,000 on it. So. But sometimes that's what God does. But he does that when we're faithful. So just decide with God. Say, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I believe that this is what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. And you give as you are blessed. That's why we don't take offerings here. That's why we don't do fundraisers here. We don't go asking other people for money. Because all the money that we need to do all the ministry that we ever need to do, ever at Journey in Our Church, is in the bank. It's just in your bank. <laughs> and so you've got to kind of figure out how that works and, and take care of it. Here's what I know. I love, I love giving here. I love it. Because I have seen what God has done, and it makes me a part of it, and it also, that's where my heart is. Because it's where my treasure is. So be bold with your invitations, with your volunteering, with your giving. So I, I've been in churches where, where, where people don't get the giving thing. They get it here. But I've been in churches where they don't give it. And there's people who, you know, they're a big family. They've got a bunch of kids, and their kids are in the, the nursery and a kid's program. And, and they're out here, and, and uh, the offering plate would come by in that church, and they'd drop their 10 bucks in. And, and, and it was everything I could do not to say, as they were like, I'm putting my $10 in. Say, you freaking kidding me? That didn't pay for the crackers your kid ate last week. <laughs> Let alone all the incredible ministry this church is doing. But in reality, what I think is you are so missing out because you're not part of it. So be bold with your giving. And the fourth is this. We talked about this as actually, I think, in the second week. It was the whole thing we talked about. Be bold with your prayers. How too often what we pray for is, is on, the, the number one thing people pray for is safety. There's a bad storm. Please keep so-and-so safe. Please keep us safe as we drive. Now, is that a bad thing? No. But some of those things are things you kind of have control over. Put your phone away. Don't text and drive. Don't speed. Well, a little bit, not a lot. Don't, don't drive in the passing lane if you're not passing. That has nothing to do with anything I'm saying to you. That's a public service announcement. <laughs> don't drive in the passing lane if you're not passing, okay? Just has nothing to do with anything. I pray for you when you do that, by the way. When we pray for safety, when we pray for health, when we pray for healing, when we pray for those things, I'm not telling you to stop praying for those things and only pray for boldness. I'm saying in addition to praying for all those things, those are good things. Some of them, though, you have control over. Just do it. But pray for those things. I'm saying in addition to the stuff that may happen. Anyhow, let's ask God for some stuff that would only happen if he intervened. That would only happen if God stepped in. Because what I've learned in ministry is that if I pray for things that I can do, I'm not depending on God. I can just do that. We've learned that we want to pray for things and we want to say, here's what we're going to do. And if God doesn't show up, it ain't going to work. We're stepping out in faith and doing this. And so I want you to be bold in your prayers and ask stuff from God that would only work if he showed up. Like, for instance, pray for that guy at your work that you can't imagine ever darkening the door of a church. Pray for him every day. Don't beat him over the head with a Bible. Don't tell him he's bad. Don't tell him he's going to hell. Don't tell him he needs to repent. Just love him and pray for him. And keep doing that every day. And you say, that's never going to happen. That's the point. 
because we're praying for things that only God can do. So let's be bold in our prayers. Pray that God would move people to give for kingdom purposes in a, in a generous, sacrificial way that we would see incredible benefits for the kingdom. Pray for that. Pray for what we talked about before a couple weeks ago, the billions and billions of dollars that are in poorly, um, that poorly run assets uh, of church buildings, ginormous things that have nobody going there, that they're just soaking up the resources. Pray that those would get into the hands of church leaders who have a vision from God and can use it to make a difference. It's like the church I told you about that I was a youth pastor at downtown. It used to be Central Free Church. It's now Hope Church. It's a block or two from the, the new stadium. You can go see it. It's a really cool old red building. Instead of now 75 people gathering there and trying to keep the lights on and trying to keep something happening, they bought the gigantic building next to them, and there are thousands of people who have come to Jesus because of that. Or they could have sat on that property and had nothing good happen. Pray that those get into the hands of people who can make a difference. Because you see, the church, the church began, we, we started this whole series with how the church began, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. We walked through some of the highlights based on Acts is just, Acts is not A-X, like Acts, it's A-C-T-S, Acts. I don't know how you pronounce that so that you get it. And most Bibles say it's the Acts of the Apostles, and it's not, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's here's what the Spirit did to begin the church. Here was the first few, you know, decades of the church. It was a history book of the church. I want to share with you how the book ends. Paul arrives in Rome as a prisoner. It's like A.D. 60 or something. So it's not very far after the beginning of the church. He's awaiting his accusers. They haven't showed up yet because he's a Roman citizen. Nobody's there to accuse. They can't let him go, but they have to do something with him. So because he hasn't been formally charged, he's kind of placed under house arrest. And he has a little bit of freedom in house arrest. Although there's a guard there, he might even be chained. He has some freedom there. So he calls for all the Jews in town to come and talk to him. Come meet with me, you know. They were actually anxious to do that because they had heard a lot of people speaking out against this new sect. They called it a a faction of Judaism. It wasn't called Christianity yet. It wasn't called the church yet. It was just this group that people saw it as this faction of Judaism, and they're all bad, and and we're going to go see what this leader Paul has to say about it. And he explained what happened in Jerusalem. He tells them, "Here's here's how the church started. Here's what God did. Here's what the Spirit has been doing. And he ends his talk with with just an extraordinary message. It's kind of a prophecy of sorts, and it has come true. And in Acts 28, last chapter of the book, verse 29, he says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That's what he spent his his last few decades doing. Has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. That's amazing. How did he know that? Because God told him to do it. And it wasn't going to be all on him. But he knew that they would listen. I know that they listened. You know how I know? We're here today. It's been going for 2,000 years and passed on. They listened. And people will continue to listen. In verse 30, it says this, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. So he's under house arrest. He welcomes everybody who comes to see him. And here's what he did the whole time he was there. He whined, I'm in prison. I didn't get to do this. Why is God not good to me? I've been so good. That's not what he did. It said he welcomed people into his house and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Look at this. He did that with all, what does it say? Boldness. Boldness. 
He did it with all boldness and without hindrance. After two years in Rome, they let him go. He was released, but he was re-arrested and then executed by Nero in AD 67. And what most people thought and what most people today would read that and think was, the spokesman for the church has been silenced. But not the church. And the reason is because the church is a big deal. The church is a big idea. It's not our idea. It's God's idea. We are honored to be a part of it for our generation. We started this series intentionally the week after Easter when we, along with a billion other people, celebrated the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And when we say that today, people don't hardly blink. Jesus was resurrected. And then you move on with the conversation. It was a big deal. Let me ask you this. How many of you know someone close who has died? Can I see your hands? Almost everybody. If you haven't, I'm sorry, you're gonna. Now, show of hands. Of those people that you know that have died, how many of you have had some of them come back to life? Can I see your hands? Oh, not so much. It doesn't happen every day, does it? In this case, someone died. Everybody watched him. He was buried, but he rose again. And he appeared to people. That's a big deal. That happened. He rose three days after that. He appeared to them, and for 40 days he walked around, talked with them, walked with them, ate with them, hung out with them, shared with them, got them ready for what was going to happen. For the, for the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended up into heaven, floated up in the clouds, and, and he said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise. That was the Holy Spirit. And a couple weeks later, less than a couple weeks later, that's what happened when the church started. Do you know what day that was? It was on Pentecost Sunday. You know what today is? Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to finish, we're going to finish uh, talking about this on the birthday of the church. Something that started not as a building, but as a movement around one concept, around one idea, around one truth. Jesus rose from the dead. I've been watching a video clip all week, and I want to share it with you. I had to watch it a whole bunch of times because I can't watch it without crying. And I thought the more times I watch it, the better it would be. Not so much, but I, want, I, I hope that it helps motivate you a little bit around this, this idea, the same idea that started everything at the beginning. Jesus rose from the dead. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus, one of those men or women that put all their eggs in that basket and then watched him die, watched the stone rolled in front of the grave and spent the longest Saturday of their life with Jesus dead. Can you imagine what they felt? But then can you imagine what they felt when everything changed Sunday morning? I'd like you to watch this video clip. <laughs>
That's why we're here. Because Jesus rose from the dead. A couple weeks ago, I've told you, if you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. God might have something amazing for you and you miss it, but if you miss the Sunday that we gave these uh, bracelets out, you missed. I may have a few more. For those of you who weren't here, or for those of you who weren't bold enough and lost yours, um, <clears throat> it's interesting because we handed out hundreds of these. And I had um, six people come to me. And I have a feeling that many of the others here were thinking this. You were probably thinking, Tim's lost it. It says, be bold, that's a good thing. On the other side, it says Acts 29. I had a number, like I said, a number was six. I had six people come to me or come to somebody who came to me and say, um, there's only 28 chapters in Acts. <laughs> Guess what? You are chapter 29. It didn't end at Acts 28. The church was only 30 years old. It was just beginning. The story is continuing to be written, and it's written with your acts. It's written by what you step up to do. It's written by your boldness. That's why we're here today, because for the last 2,000 years, the generations that preceded us were bold enough to say, Jesus is alive. It made a difference in my life, and it makes a difference in the world, and it can make a difference in your life. That's why we do what we do. So if you didn't get one of these, or maybe you lost yours, we have them at each doors when you go out. When they're gone, they're gone, so don't make some big mad rush to that or anything, but... Remember, it's not about you. Um, we have two sizes, and, and the boxes are marked just like before. One says big because it's about being big and bold. The other says smaller, but not less bold. It just means you need a smaller size. There's two different sizes there. So grab, you, you can grab one of those on the way out. Because I want you to remember not just to be bold, but to remember you are the ones who are continuing the story of the church. Jesus has left it in our hands, but he's not left us alone. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we could never on our own. Our mission as a church has not changed in 2,000 years. Our mission is not to become insider focused. That's the drift. That's not our mission. Our mission is the great commission and the great commandment to be outsider focused. Maybe you're a church person and you haven't gotten that yet and it's time to step up to the plate. Maybe you're still investigating all this and you, didn't, you thought church was about buildings and you thought church was about rules and regulations and rituals. It's about a relationship with that Jesus that rose from the dead. That's what it's about. And if you don't know him, you can come to know him. And it's as simple as saying, I believe. I believe what you did was for me. You died for me. You were buried. But three days later, you rose again. Everybody saw it. Do you know that is the most investigated fact in the history of the world? And all you have to do is believe it. And your life will change forever. You have the power of the Spirit. Will it be easy? No. It will be harder. How's that for a cell? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but you'll have the spirit and you'll have a, a forever family to help you with it. Let's like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, my prayer today is simple. For those who don't know you, my prayer is that today they would recognize that church is not an institution, that church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's a movement that was fueled by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We thank you, Father, for that. I thank you for that. I thank you that because of that, I could meet with you this morning. I could talk with you this morning because you're alive. Father, my prayer is that you would help us to continue to be about not making it difficult for those who are turning to God. I pray that you would enable us to speak your word and to live your word with great boldness. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. And that is what it's all about. You see the the sign up behind me there? Welcome home. Journey North Churches was saying welcome home for for into our 11th year now. Here's the here's the thing you need to know though. Journey North Church, we want to make this feel like home. We want to make it feel like you're coming home and you say this is it, this is my home. But here's the thing. Journey North Church is not your final home. For me, you know what home is? Home is safe in the arms of Jesus. Amen. That's home. Final home ultimate home is heaven, but heaven is heaven because Jesus will be there. The risen Savior that started the church, that's home. That's welcome home. We also say here, Journey North Church is helping people find true north on their journey called life. True north is not Journey North Church. True north is Jesus. And we are helping point people, walking arm in arm with people to Jesus. Because that's the answer. Go put, put up the last, we're, this is the last time you'll see this. The, the, um, what's the big deal about church? I, I don't know how many of you noticed this, but when you look at that picture, what's the big deal about church? What's highlighted? You are. Here's the thing about church. First, you're the target, in a good way. You're the target of love. Once you've been captured by that love, you are now the bringer of love. There is no phase where you just get to sit and soak and sour. Because found people find people. And if you're not interested in finding people, you haven't been found yet. First, you're the target, then you're the bringer of love. We are, I feel like I'm one of the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. I should have my sunglasses on. We're on a mission from God. We are a part of this incredible history that is a church, and it's our turn. What are we going to pass on? Let's pray. Father, I ask that, like the first church, that you would help us to be bold. For us here, help us to be bold with our invitations, with our volunteering, with our giving. Help us to be bold with our prayers. And help us to continue to be about not making it difficult for those who are turning to God. And enable us to speak and live your word with great boldness. 
We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't go anywhere. Don't play the music yet. Stop right there. Don't forget your bracelet. And if you weren't here last week, the baby bought a fundraiser. You said, well, we don't do fundraisers. This isn't for us. It's for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Between Mother's Day and Father's Day, you grab one of these, you take it home, you fill it up with, with change, bills, checks, gold bullion, whatever you have, and then bring it back on Father's Day. Last year, they thought we were going to take a few dozen, and I said, no, we need 240. We set a record for how much money was collected. It was not enough. We need to blow that out of the water. There's only a few of these left. Some at each door. Grab one, bring it back full on Father's Day. I love you.